It is good to see you. It is good to be with you. If you have a copy of God's word, I'd invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 3. And yes, I said Matthew chapter 3. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you should know that a few weeks ago, Pastor Josh kicked off a series through the gospel of John. But this morning, Pastor Josh is away. He was preaching at a men's conference in Texas, so he asked me to fill in. So you get the B team this morning. Sorry about it. But he asked me to fill in, so I, we were talking uh, several weeks ago, and I asked him if he wanted me to continue in his series on John or not. And he told me, based on the way that he had things mapped out, I don't know if this is the same now, but at that point, the way that he had it mapped out, this morning we would actually be in the beginning of John chapter 2. And he just lovingly told me that there was no way he was going to let the college pastor talk about turning water into wine. Like, he just wasn't, I don't know what that was about, but he didn't want me to talk about that. So, anyways, we're not going to be in John this week. He'll resume that, Lord willing, next week. But I do believe that what we're going to talk about this morning will be very helpful in some of the things that we've been talking about through the Gospel of John together. Because you see... One of the things that we've been talking about a lot is that the Gospel of John, perhaps more than any of the other three Gospels, it teaches us and shows us the importance of experiencing a loving union with Jesus. This is the terminology that we've been using. The Gospel of John extends an invitation to us to experience loving union with Christ. What we mean by that is that the Gospel of John shows us the importance of having a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That John shows us that fullness of joy, that grace and mercy and the fullness of life is found in Christ alone. And what we need most deeply in our lives is union with Christ. And I don't know about you, but that message has just been landing really hard on my own heart. Like it's just been resonating very deeply with me. Like I tangibly feel my need for loving union with Christ. I tangibly feel my need for intimacy with Jesus. And throughout this series, I just begun to kind of do some self-reflection and just ask myself, like, what are the things in my life that often keep me from experiencing this loving union with Christ? That keep me from experiencing this intimacy with Jesus that I was created for? What is it in my life that hinders me in this pursuit? And the answer to that question, of course, will look different for all of us, depending on what season of life that we're in. But I've been thinking about that a lot. And one of the main things that I keep returning to that might be hindering my own ability to resonate and to just experience the fullness of joy with Jesus might just be the craziness and the busyness of life right now. Like the fast pace of life that I'm just living in right now. And I imagine that many of you can relate like August just seems to be just a crazy time of year for everyone. It's my wife and I's busiest time of year just for both of us. I myself, obviously being the college pastor here, August is insane. Students come back. We have an event like almost every night of the week trying to meet as many students as we can. We're trying to get Prince College nights off the ground, which happened in this room Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. We're trying to get our family groups up and running, which are groups that meet in homes throughout the week. We're trying to just get leaders in place. And it's just, it's a wild time. My wife, she works for the, on the leadership team for three Chick-fil-A's in town, and their students are back, so sales are going up. They're catering sorority rush. They're getting ready for football season, and for some reason, Chick-fil-A decided to release a sandwich that has pimento cheese on it, and everybody went nuts, and it's just like, it's just crazy, right? Things are wild in August. I imagine that many of you can relate to that, like school resumes. Sports start back for your kids. Work seems to get busy for a lot of us. And it seems like whenever we come into August, we just start moving at a hundred miles an hour. 
And days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months. And before we know it, August has come and gone. We're through Labor Day, and it's September 10th. Like, that's crazy, right? I feel that. I know that you feel that. And in the midst of all that speed, we have a tendency to sacrifice depth. Because speed is the enemy of depth. We cannot go fast on the surface and deep underneath the surface at the same time. And so what I've been thinking about a lot in my own life recently is that if I want to experience loving union with Christ, perhaps one of the things that's hindering me most is just the fast pace of life that I'm living in. And I know many of you can relate. So the question that I want us to reckon with this morning is simple. So what are we to do about this? Like, what should we do about this problem that we face? How can we fight back against this fast pace of the world that we are living in? Jesus promises us rest in places like Matthew chapter 11. So how can we experience that? How can we step into that? Is there something that we can learn from the life of Jesus that will help us experience this rest that he promises? Help us step into the loving union that he wants for us. The answer to that question is, of course, yes. There are many things we can learn from the life of Jesus. Last time that I was here and I preached, I told you guys that I'd started to get a new Bible reading plan with my sister-in-law. We wanted to try to read through the entire Bible over the summer. So we started a Bible reading plan that would have us read through the entire Bible in 90 days. I will confess to you that we've fallen a little bit behind, okay? But... We have made it to the New Testament, at least. So that's a win in and of itself. And what we're seeing, what I'm seeing as I'm reading through the Gospels and this life of Jesus is that there's this regular habit that I really want us to pay attention to this morning. There's a regular habit in the life of Jesus. As you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you follow the life of Jesus, you see this regular habit of Jesus where he will remove himself from the busyness happening all around him. Well, he will remove himself from the action, so to speak, and intentionally steal away to be alone in the quiet with his father. This is a regular practice in the life and ministry of Jesus. And this practice from the life of Jesus is what has come to be known as the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. And solitude. That should be pretty self-explanatory, but just so we're all on the same page this morning, whenever I say that, I mean this. Silence and solitude is the practice of regularly withdrawing to a quiet place to be alone with God. That's what we're talking about this morning. We see this so much in the life of Jesus. And just like our time in scripture, just like prayer, just like fasting, just like giving or evangelism are seen as spiritual disciplines, silence and solitude should be a spiritual discipline that we put in place in our life. We see it in the life of Jesus. But what I would tell you is that in the life of many modern believers, this is not something that we regularly practice because we're too busy living our lives at 100 miles per hour, jumping from thing to thing to thing. So with our time this morning, I just want us to do kind of an overview of some stories in Scripture. We're going to be all over the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not in John. We're not touching it. Okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to see some stories from the life of Jesus of how he practiced this in his own life. And the hope is that by seeing how Jesus practiced this, we can learn how to put this into practice in our lives as well. So we're going to start 
in Matthew chapter 3, at the very end of Matthew chapter 3 and the beginning of Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, join me there. In Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus begin his life in ministry. And there's this beautiful story in which he comes to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist initially pushes back on this, says he's not worthy to baptize Jesus. Jesus tells him that this is the way that it needs to be. And Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. And as he is baptized, heaven's open spirit of God descends upon him. And the very last verse of Matthew chapter 3 says this. Matthew 3.17 says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is a big moment in the life of Jesus. He's baptized, heaven's open, audible voice from heaven, hearing the approval and acceptance of the Father over the Son. This is a monumental moment. And right after this, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. So immediately following this, we see this. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So immediately after this baptism moment, we see Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, I want to key in on this word for just a second. The word that is translated as wilderness in my translation of the Bible, I'm reading from the ESV, is the Greek word aremos. And that word is translated a variety of different ways throughout the Gospels. It's translated as wilderness, as desolate place, as lonely place, desert, deserted place, or quiet place. And what we see as we follow the life of Jesus, that Jesus retreated to the Eremos very often. And as we read through the Gospels, we see that the Eremos is not just, it's not a specific place per se. It's more of a type of place, a type of place where he can withdraw to be alone in the quiet with his father. It's a place without distraction. It's a place where he can concentrate on his father and pour out his heart before the father. And it's a place that Jesus goes to a lot during his time here on earth. And so what we see in Matthew chapter three, massive moment, big baptism moment, spirit of God descending, voice of God, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And you might expect that Jesus would then start setting up shop, that he'd start a speaking rotation, that he'd start holding conferences, that he'd start doing something to build his platform. That's not at all what we see. Instead, we see the spirit lead him to the wilderness, lead him to the Aramos, lead him to a place where he could be alone with the father. And what we see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, is that he's in the Aramos for 40 days. It says, and after fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him. Now, something I want to uh, talk about here in this moment, I've, I've read this story several times and I've always had a tendency to read this story kind of from the perspective of, you know, the, the enemy's coming to Jesus when he's most weak and most vulnerable. Like that seems just like the devil, right? Like Jesus just wants some bread and here comes the pesky devil trying to tempt him when he's down, right? And to be clear, there absolutely is an element of that. The text is very clear that Jesus is weak and he's hungry. This is one of those stories in the gospel that gives us glimpses of Jesus's humanity while he's here on earth. But recently I heard another pastor speaking about this and he pointed out something really interesting. He talked about how 
Yes, Jesus was weak physically, but he had also just spent 40 days alone intentionally spending time with the Father. That he spent time fasting. That he spent time praying alone with God in the quiet. And this shows us something really interesting about this moment. That, that yes, while Jesus was weak physically, he was also strong spiritually. Because he had spent a significant amount of time with the Father in the Ramos in 40 days in silence and solitude, intentional time away to just be alone with God. And because of that, whenever the enemy does come, Jesus is ready. Jesus is prepared. The enemy comes and tries to tempt Jesus three different times. And Jesus sees right through the temptations, quoting scripture back to the enemy, talking about the will of God. And even whenever the enemy tries to take scripture and twist it, Jesus sees right through that as well. And so what the story shows us, I'm going to borrow language from one of my favorite authors, John Mark Comer. It tells us this. He says that the Eremos is not a place of weakness, but a place of strength. What we see is silence and solitude is a practice that helps us experience strength from God. And from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth, we see him making this a habit in his life to regularly withdraw and to spend time alone with the Father. Let me show you another example. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to the right a little bit to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. If you know anything about the gospel of Mark, you know that it moves very quickly. Mark does not mince words. He's not wasting time. He tells you exactly what's happening. So Mark chapter one begins with a bang. And after Jesus's temptation moment, he begins his ministry by preaching the gospel, the good news that the kingdom has arrived. In Mark chapter one, we see his, Jesus call his disciples to join him. We see him cleanse a man with an impure spirit. And then we see Jesus heal the mother of a couple of his disciples. And after healing the mother of a couple of disciples, many people in this town begin to gather around Jesus and he begins to teach and he begins to heal them as well. This is a long day in the ministry of Jesus. It's a good day. Like you could say his analytics are trending upward, all right? Popular opinion at an all-time high for the ministry of Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, after a day like this where he's up late into the evening serving these people, you'd expect that Jesus would kind of like just chill the next day, right? Maybe he'd like sleep in a little bit. Maybe he'd have brunch with some friends. Maybe he would just kind of ease into the day. But that's not what we see. Look with me. At Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, it says this. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. Again, the word Aramos. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns then I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. What we see here is that after this long day that surely was exhausting, we don't see Jesus like waste time and veg out or just kind of ease into the day. We see him rise very early in the morning before the sun's even up before the distractions of the day have the opportunity to get a hold of him. And he goes to a desolate place to pray and to be alone in the quiet with his father. 
And when people come looking for him, wanting him to do more things for them, he doesn't just immediately jump into trying to gain the approval of people. He does what his father had called him to do. I imagine it would have been really easy for Jesus and the disciples to just kind of camp out here for a little bit, right? Like the people liked him, at least for right now. It would have been easy for him just to hang out there. But Jesus doesn't do the easy thing. He does the thing that he was called to. He does the important thing. And after spending time alone with his father, he moves forward and continues to do what he was called to do. And he goes to the other towns and he preaches and he heals there as well. This is a pattern that we see in the life of Jesus, no matter how busy he gets, no matter the demands upon his time, he constantly withdraws to be with the Father. We see this in places like Luke chapter 5. You don't have to flip there. I'm just going to read two verses for you. Luke 5, 15 and 16 says this. But even now, more of the report began to spread about him abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. What that text shows us is that even whenever word began to spread, even whenever popularity began to rise, even whenever the demands on his time kept going up, he would consistently withdraw from all the busyness, from all the craziness of life, from all the demands on his time, he would withdraw to be alone in the quiet with his father. He prioritizes time to pull away, to be in the quiet, alone with God. Perhaps most the, the most famous instance of this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that Jesus was betrayed. If you have your Bibles, look with me in, in Mark 14. I told you we're going to be all over. So Mark 14, verses 32 through 35, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the way to the cross, we see this. In Mark 14, 32 through 35, it says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, the three that he spent the most time with among the 12. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. I want you to see this. That in the most perilous moment of Jesus' life here on earth, where do we find him? But alone in the quiet with his father. He leaves the 12, takes the three, and even leaves the three and takes a few steps further away to be alone with his father. What I want you to see from these stories is this. That in temptation, in triumph, and in trial, Jesus consistently withdrew to be with his father. In temptation, in triumph, and in trial, Jesus consistently withdrew to be with his Father. In every season of his life here on earth, no matter what demands were on his time, he made a regular habit of withdrawing to be alone with God. He consistently modeled for us the importance of spending time alone with the Father. But what I also want you to see this morning is that Jesus didn't just model this. For us, he invites us into it as well. One last story in Mark chapter 6. All right, if you have your Bible, go to Mark chapter 6. 
In Mark 6, we see Jesus commission his disciples to join in on his work. That he is making it very clear to his disciples that they're not meant to be just bystanders. They're not meant to be just spectators. That they're meant to be participants in the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's a sermon for a different day. But he's commissioned them outward. And whenever they go out and they begin to preach the gospel in neighboring towns and they come back to him. And it says this in Mark chapter 6 verses 30 through 32. It says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And so they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. I love this story. Like the disciples, they come back and they're telling Jesus everything that they've done, everything that they've taught, but Jesus does not seem to be impressed by their busyness and their fast pace of life. Instead, Jesus extends an invitation to them to join him in one of his favorite places, in the Oremos. He invites them to withdraw, to be alone in the quiet with him. The text tells us that these men were tired that they were worn out. They had no leisure even to eat. Some of you know what that's like. Like you bounce from thing to thing to thing and it feels like you don't even have time in your life to do the things that matter most. That's where these men were in this moment. And they come back and they seem to be bragging about it. They can't wait to tell Jesus everything. And again, we, we know what that's like as well. In our culture, we almost wear busyness like a badge of honor. Like we can't wait to tell people what we've got going on. You ask somebody, how are you doing? And one of the most immediate responses, I'm just so busy right? Like that's one of the most immediate responses. It's like we're proud of it. And these people, these men, they come back and they're telling him everything that they do, but Jesus does not seem to be impressed. He's not looking for their accomplishments or their accolades. He sees that they're weary and he has compassion on them and he invites them to join him in a desolate place. Because Jesus knew what these men needed. They didn't need to keep pushing and just work harder. They didn't need more affirmation or compliments or attaboys about going hard and going fast. They didn't need just to numb out and distract themselves and veg out. They didn't need just a good night out on the town or a big old glass of wine to drown out their troubles. They needed to withdraw. They needed intentional time away in the quiet with their Lord. You see, Jesus modeled this for them, but he also invited them into it as well. So what we see through the life and ministry of Jesus is that in temptation, in triumph, and in trial, Jesus consistently withdrew to be with his father. He models this for us and he invites us into it. And that is the practice that has come to be known as silence and solitude. So the main point that I want you to understand this morning is this, that if you want to experience loving union with Christ, you must establish the rhythm of silence and solitude. That if you want to experience loving union with Christ, you must establish the rhythm of silence and solitude. This is the place where you're going to experience more of God and experience the rest that he promises you. I want this for you. And here's the deal. I imagine that as I say that, there's, there's two predominant objections to this. The first objection may be this. You may be hearing that and you may think that just sounds... That sounds too simplistic. Like, of course, 
We're supposed to spend time with God. Like I do my quiet time every day. I do my devotional every day, Adam. Tell me something new. I know I'm supposed to spend time with God. But can we, can we just be real for a second? Can we just be honest and drop the pretense for a moment? There are many of us in this room right now who are not experiencing the intimacy with Jesus that we were created for because we're moving throughout life way too fast. And yeah, you might do your quiet time in the morning, but it's just one another thing that you check off the list before moving to the other hundred things on your to-do list. And as soon as you leave that devotional moment, you don't think about it again until the next morning. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Jesus is calling you for. I just want to caution you. I say this to our college students all the time. So many of us are moving from thing to thing and we never slow down. And I want to caution you and remind you not to confuse activity with productivity. They're not the same thing. You can be living your life at 100 miles an hour, jumping from thing to thing to thing, and even good things, good thing to good thing to good thing, but still living your life at an inch deep in your relationship with God. And I don't want that for you. We have to slow down long enough to actually experience the loving union that we were created for. We have to give careful consideration to the condition of our souls and slow down long enough to actually be with God. So yeah, that might sound simple, but choosing to practice this goes against everything that our culture prizes. It goes against everything that our culture values. We live in a culture that values busyness that values activity. There is no shortage of things to commit your time, your energy, and your attention to. So we go hard in all areas of our life, in work, in school, in athletics, in all kinds of things, and we push ourselves to the point of exhaustion, and our bodies and our souls crave rest, and then we end up turning our attention to things that promise rest but can't deliver. So tell me if this sounds familiar. You get to the end of a week and you're so tired, you're so spent, and so you just crash on the couch and you veg out watching the latest show on Netflix. Because you believe that just by watching that show, I can just let my mind and my body rest. But at the end of that Netflix session, you're often more tired than when you were when you went into it. Or we sit on our phones just mindlessly scrolling our lives away on apps like TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, thinking that this has given us some sort of mental break, but all it's doing is stirring up more thoughts, more emotions, all, all, many of them negative in us, and it's not allowing us to rest. We distract ourselves instead of actually going after rest. Listen to this. We settle for distraction instead of pursuing loving union. I don't want that for you. I read, uh, there's an author that, has written extensively about this. He has a quote I want to read to you. It says this. It says, We, for every kind of reason, both good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these things. It's just that we're habitually too preoccupied to have any of these even show up on our radar screens. Listen to this. We are more busy than bad, we're more distracted than non-spiritual, and we're more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are the church. And listen to this last line. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. That's a word. Like I feel that on a deep level. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness. That's got me three for three. I don't know about you. 
That is something we need. I want this to be a wake-up call for us in the culture in which we live that prizes busyness and entertainment and emotion and activity. Let's be people who push back. Let's be people who join Jesus and defiantly go against the current of culture and actively withdraw to spend time alone with God. What I want you to understand this morning is that this practice of silence and solitude is not easy. But silence and solitude is an act of resistance against the busyness, distraction, and restlessness of our day. And it's something that we need in our life if we ever want to cultivate spiritual depth. So if that first objection is that it's too simple, the second objection would be this. If the first objection is that it's too simple, the second objection would be that it's not practical. There may be some of you in the room this morning who are hearing me say this, and you're like, yeah, Adam, but you just don't get it. Like, you just don't, you don't understand my season of life. I've got like seven kids under the age of four. I've got 17 small businesses that I'm trying to run. I'm in grad school, whatever the excuse may be. But I just, if that's you this morning, I just want to gently remind you that life with Jesus is not about efficiency. It's about intimacy. And intimacy does not happen quickly. It happens over time. It happens by slowing down by being attentive, by giving oneself fully to another. And that's what the practice of silence and solitude is all about. I'm not trying to give you another thing to add to your to-do list. I'm trying to get you to consider the importance of slowing down long enough to actually be with God, to be with the one who made you. And I would lovingly tell you, if you think you're too busy for that, then you're way too busy because Jesus the savior of the world made time for this. And if he did, then you should as well. So what is this practice gonna look like for you? What is this practice gonna look like for you in your life? I'm not really sure, <laughs> to be honest with you. It looks different for different people in different seasons. And that's, that's why I love the realism of Jesus. As you read through the gospels, you just see that, that Jesus, that he doesn't spend, the, he's not like in the same place in the same time every single day, even though that's a great habit to get in. That's not the life of Jesus. Sometimes we see Jesus withdraw in the morning. Sometimes we see Jesus withdraw at night, sometimes in the middle of the day. But what I love from Jesus is that Jesus is always proactive about this. He's always very intentional about seeking time to get alone with his father. This is not his throwaway time at the end of the day. He's very intentional about this. And he makes, um, he just makes time for it in his life, whatever the day brings. Like even in that story that I read for you a moment ago in Mark chapter six, whenever Jesus invites his disciples to come away with him, there's this moment where they're, they're going to the desolate place and they actually get interrupted, that there's a crowd of people who come to him and Jesus interrupts the time of rest and he ministers to these crowds. He actually ends up feeding the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish in this moment. But as soon as that moment is over, he goes right back to where he was, resting with God. He does not compromise this time. So for you, I would tell you to think critically about your day your schedule, the things that demand your time and prioritize finding a time and a place that you can steal away to be alone in the quiet with your father. Maybe for you, it looks like during your lunch break at work, not just kind of mindlessly scrolling through your phone, but sitting and just being with God and pouring out your heart to him, sharing your insecurities, your anxieties, your worries with him, reading his word. Maybe for you, it looks like waking up early in the morning before your kids wake up 
and just letting your soul come alive in the presence of God before the craziness of your household ensues. Maybe for some of you, it looks like you and your spouse taking shifts, watching the kids while the other has a moment to just steal away and spend time alone with God for just a few moments. Maybe it looks like you turning off the news in the afternoon and sitting in your living room and just thinking about all that God has done for you. Thinking about God's faithfulness, thinking about his favor, thinking about his grace, thinking about all that he has done. Maybe it looks like whenever we get a random break in the day, we don't just reach for our phone to fill the time, but we begin to reach for the Lord. We begin to cast our cares on him. We begin to cast our attention to him. Maybe it looks like just slowing down long enough to be with him. I want to encourage you to find your own version of the Aramos. Find a place, find a time where you can get alone in the quiet with the Lord. This is what your soul needs. If you want to experience true rest, if you want to experience loving union with Christ, you will find it in silence and solitude. Slow down. Be present. Be with God. I cannot tell you, I cannot adequately express to you just how valuable this practice has been in my own life. Like I am not a person who naturally slows down. I'm a person who goes full speed for as long as I can until I hit a wall. That's my personality. My wife would attest to that. But the busier life gets, the more I'm seeing my need for this in life. And I'm trying to learn how to put this into practice in my own life. And as I do, I am seeing why this practice was so important to the life and ministry of Jesus. Because it's so necessary. So necessary for us. You see, our, our vision here at Prince Avenue Baptist Church is that we want to be the visible presence of Jesus in our community. But can I just remind you, church, that there's no way that we're going to be the visible presence of Jesus in our community if we're not spending time with Jesus. You understand that, right? Like we need time to cultivate time to just spend alone with the Father, that these moments that we share on Sunday mornings are great. I love Sundays at Prince. We need these moments. We need time to gather with the body, to worship, to open his word. We need these moments in order to grow in relationship with the Lord and in relationship with one another. But I want to remind you that this is not all that the Christian life is. God wants so much more for you than your Sunday morning attendance. Like he wants daily devotion. He wants you to spend time with him. You are living in a world that vies for your attention, that has so many things that would distract you and keep you from connecting most deeply to God. But I wanna encourage you, there is hope. You can fight back. You can resist through the regular practice of silence and solitude. God has provided an example for us to follow and an invitation for us to accept the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's be people who go after him, who spend time with him, who behold him, who slow down long enough to experience this loving union that we've been created for. Would you pray with me?